Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Aviation Spotters Podcast. I am your host, Colin. This is a quick reminder to go check out our Facebook page, Aviation Spotters Podcast, and also to share this with your network. We have been getting some lower viewership. I understand that, you know, it's a pretty niche market for this, but um, if you know an AvGeek that you think would really like to listen to the show, or anybody else would, or just if they're interested in aviation or aviation photography or just that in general, make sure to share this with them. I really would appreciate it because I would like to get it out there. A lot of the av geeks that I want to have on the show will be able to hear and be interested in coming on and getting to the main purpose of this podcast. With that being said, this is episode 9 of the AVSP, and here with me today is Mr. Owen Hewitt from Spartansburg, South Carolina. Owen, how are you doing this afternoon? Man, I'm great. Appreciate you having me on. Of course, man. Um, thank you for taking taking up the offer and coming on. I know you messaged me really early on saying you're really interested in coming on the show, and I said, you know what? Let's pull the trigger and make it happen. You know, you, you take some absolutely astonishing photos, and, uh, you know, why not showcase them? I do appreciate it. Of course, man. Well, let's get to know you a little bit. So, uh, we're, you're from Spartansburg, South Carolina, and, uh, you know, how did you get into aviation spotting and, 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 and stuff like that? So, yeah, I currently live in uh, the upstate of South Carolina, but I've been in uh, different parts of South Carolina all my life and uh, grew up in Florence. And back uh, many years ago, they used to have an Air Force base at Myrtle Beach. And uh, one of your favorite aircraft was based there, uh, the A-10. Oh, nice. And uh, they would often do practice flights. And uh, so I'd always had curiosity, what the heck is that plane? Uh, It's kind of weird looking, right? And uh, so uh, that just kind of piqued my interest in in military aviation. I'm fairly close to Shaw Air Force Base, so of course they fly the F-16, and um, I did at one time live in Charleston, and Charleston is home of the C-17, and uh, Mm -hmm. so that's another aircraft that I would often see flying over my head. Um, I'm age 46, so I bet you money I'm the oldest guest you've had so (laughs) far. Uh, Yeah, I I think so, yeah. Uh, I'm on my second marriage of uh, three years, my wife, Lindsay, and I've got three uh, girls, Christy Lake, Elizabeth Lee, and, and Mary Elliott, uh, currently at Myrtle Beach this week. Yeah, that's that's me. I'm assuming uh, Myrtle Beach isn't as busy as it normally would be this time of year, though, right? Oh, it's it's uh, it's pretty packed, for, oh, from what is. I understand. Yeah, there's oh. still visitors. Well, uh, I mean, at least... It's helping the local tourist economy, but you know it's a this is a double-edged sword, I guess. Um, but yeah, so so uh, Charleston they have one of the largest units of C-17s, right? Absolutely, on the, yeah. On the yeah. East Coast. In fact, it was the very first uh, home uh, when when it first uh, came on. Uh, Charleston became a kind of the c-17 master jet base and people would come there Uh, in fact the uk came and when they got their planes they came to charleston to train Uh, so it's it's kind of the uh the home of the c-17 that's pretty cool i never i knew they had a a large base and actually one of my friends i went to school with uh she went over there to become a loadmaster 
for Deceived 17, and I think she's still she's still over there. So also South Carolina, they also have a guard F-16 squadron, right? Are they also based out of Shaw? Nope, they're actually at uh, McIntyre, um, which is not very far from Shaw. It's about 20 minutes from Shaw, so it's about an hour and 40 minutes for me drive. Uh, but yeah, they carry the uh, the Block 52 of the F-16CM, and Shaw carries the F-16. Uh, CM, they've got the Block 50 version. Okay, and the Block 52 and the Block 50s, they just had a different engines in them, right? Yeah, that's the biggest difference. There's a few other little minor things with the the shape of the intake, uh, but uh, for the most part, yeah, it's mostly the power plant. Okay, yeah, no, the reason I ask is because in 2017 for the air show out here in, in Boise, we had two uh, Swamp Foxes show up ecstatic. Yeah, <laughs> you can't miss the uh, the tail on those. With the, no. Proud actually, uh, them, South Carolina on them. Yeah, one of them was actually the uh, half glass paint. One was newer coming out, which is actually really cool to see. Sweet. Real quick, so um, I, I think since you're an F-16 guy, you might know this. This is just a question I have. So you see, you have an you have a F-16CM, and then you have an F-16CJ. Do you know what the difference between those two are? I really don't. Uh, I know for uh, you know Shaw and and uh, McIntyre. Uh, the CM as um, you know, the, you, you often see those little pods hanging off the sides of the intake. Mm-hmm. And uh, from what what I understand is, it has a lot of uh, ground following type, uh, you know, navigational unit type stuff in them. And I'm not really certain what the J would be different. I'm thinking it's probably an enhancement beyond beyond the M. All right. Well, we can always research that. I'll put the if I can find some research on, I'll put in the show notes for the listener if they're curious. So, what do you would you consider your home airport then? My closest airport is uh, Greenville Spartanburg Airport, which is you know mostly uh, civilian uh, aircraft. But uh, from a military standpoint, uh, the closest to me is is Shaw, uh, McIntyre, and uh, Charleston. Okay, well. Out of those, I think I know what your answer is, and we get into later. But uh, out of those three bases, which one do you, would you prefer? Oh, definitely Shaw is my favorite. Uh, a lot more uh, activity. Um, of course, the Viper demo team's based there, so definitely have an opportunity to catch them. You know, once in a while when they're doing their practice. Uh, so that's definitely a good one. Uh, but McIntyre is, is pretty cool. Uh, you know, I'll talk about this uh, maybe later in, in the in the podcast, yeah. but I got a chance to to visit and hang out with an Apache pilot uh, a couple weeks back, and uh, he showed me around a little bit, and I was able to get a little closer to to the Apaches, and uh, just so happened to watch a couple F-16s take off. Oh man, that's uh, you can't beat that Apaches and and Vipers. Yeah, right. Uh, oh, in the same afternoon. Oh yeah, man. So, what other hobbies do you have outside of aviation? Well, really, here lately, it's just uh, been doing a lot of yard work, <laughs> paying attention to it a little bit more than I have been. Um, my wife, she does a lot of DIY type stuff, so I often will pitch in and, and help her out. Sometimes she needs some drilling or, or cutting or something like that done. Mm-hmm. But uh, about 10, 15 years ago, I, uh, I was very active in developing uh, third-party aircraft for Microsoft Flight Sim. 
Oh, no yeah, way. I used to do some development work with a couple groups you may or may not have heard of. One of them, FSD International, yeah. EagleSoft, and uh, Iris Flight Simulation. Uh, all, oh, all, no I've way. Done, yep. I've done some, some of that development work. Uh, but that takes a tremendous amount of time. I just don't have that time anymore. Yeah, I used to fly that Iris F-15E Mudhead driver religiously, and then I, I I lost my thing. I got in contact with them, and they don't sell it anymore. It's just like, ah, it's like it's such a really epic airplane to fly, and just you know, with me being out here with you know the F-15E being you know 45 miles from my house, it just kind of sucks. I'm not able to fly that plane anymore on my flight sim. But yeah, I've I've heard of all those. Um, I'm actually flown. A, um, flights and developers FSD man that's that's some good stuff I I thoroughly enjoyed the products yeah my favorite was the uh, the turbo porter yeah and was uh, a really fun one to work on with uh, my other model or friend Jim yeah those were that was fantastic so are, are you guys planning on doing anything for the new Microsoft flights and coming I have out? no idea like I said I'm, I haven't I haven't dabbled in that uh, that field for for over 10 years it just oh, takes okay. way too much time and yeah, I'd rather spend my time with a, with a camera in my hand. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. I mean, you know, this was something that you got some something to do and some time-consuming stuff. But that's that's really cool that you do, that, that you did that you did that. I was actually kind of wondered how hard is it to make a like a like a aircraft like that for a simulator? Like how like what type of like software and and just how time-consuming is it? Again, again, you if you can remember how. The airplanes looked in Microsoft 2000, or Flight Sim 2000, you know, it wasn't very complex, but then as you got into, you know, toward FSX, right, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the last version that they really published, you know, the, the, the polygon count and the detail uh, allowed was uh, tremendously more. But because of that complexity allowance, you know, customers would want the most realism possible. So it... It, it would exponentially expand the amount of time it takes to, to develop, you know, unless you've got, you know, a whole team of people. You know, I did most of the modeling type things, you know, the external model, the internal model, and uh, all, the, all the graphics. You know, all that had to be uh, designed using 3D Studio Max was what I used. And Photoshop was what I used to create the paint schemes. Okay. Yeah, I've tried doing some custom paint jobs for, you know, certain aircraft. Like I have a Phantom and I want to put in the Idaho colors and, you know, it's just going like, man, I have a lot of respect for these guys. That, you know, that's what they do and they are fantastic at it because it's, it's not easy to do if you're just getting into it at all. Yeah, it's definitely the learning curve is pretty steep. Absolutely. Oh man, let's uh, let's move it on. So let's talk about cameras. Uh, what is your current setup? Well, currently I'm running a uh, Nikon D500. I've got it married up to a Sigma 100 and 400. Okay. Um, so that's that's kind of my uh, my aerial camera. I do have uh, another body that I had prior to that, the D7200, and I've got a uh, <clears throat> 24 to 70 Sigma on that one, just for you know ground shots, wider yeah. angle. And uh, so those are my two main uh, cameras, right, at this moment. I'm looking at uh, potentially getting the uh, Nikon 200 to 500. Uh, tested it out a few weeks back. A guy had one and let me use it. Sucker's a beast. Uh, it's, oh, it's, it's, a huge, it's a huge lens, uh, 
but it gave me a, a, quite a bit more reach than my 100 to 400. I'm uh, possibly going to fi- try to find one of those used. Yeah. But uh, way back, I'd say late 90s, you know, I started using uh, old film cameras. In fact, uh, I started out with a Pentax ZX10, uh-huh. right? So that one, and, uh, you know, so this was back before digital cameras really came on the scene from a consumer standpoint and then Pentax came out with what they called the ISTD um, because I had Pentax before I said well I might as well stick to it I got lenses you know I don't want to do away with the lenses I had so I moved to the Pentax and I kept it for quite a number of years got out of the hobby of, of really doing a lot of aviation type stuff for for a few years I was you know doing my flight simulation and then mm-hmm. uh I got froggy one time and, and decided to go get a kit at, uh, I think it was a Sam's. And I saw, you know, they had a, a Canon set up and then they had an Icon set up. And, and what I saw at what they had at that very moment, the, the specs were a little bit better on the Nikon. So I went with the Nikon and that was a uh, 5100. Uh, so I, I kept it for quite a while and then uh, moved to the 7200, still have it, and then about uh, two years ago, got the the D five hundred. Very nice. And the D five hundred, that that's a full no, frame, right? No, it's uh, it's crop sensor. It's oh, their okay. it's it's their top of the line crop sensor. Uh, so it still gives me that you know one point five uh, reach. You know, it shoots a tremendous amount of frames per second. Uh, it's got an enormous buffer on it uh, compared to that uh, seventy two hundred. So it's primarily why I got it because you know it still gives me the reach. It's got you know, decent megapixel. Some point down the road, I'll probably go full frame. I've considered maybe doing the uh, mirrorless, but I hadn't jumped to that just yet. Yeah, you know, that's what John said on episode six when we were talking about photography and cameras is there's really, and you don't need a full frame. You don't need to spend, you know, $4,000 on a full frame setup and stuff like that. I mean, I've seen your photos and I, I hopefully a lot of other listeners have seen your photos and they are absolutely amazing and stunning. The detail you can get is just like, you know, it's all about glass, right? And, you know, I kind of wish that the new Canon RF 100 to 500 lens, just, and that's for their mirrorless camera, was available for the EF mount because I would love that extra 100 mil- millimeters. As a 100 to 400 that I have is an amazing lens. It is absolutely one of the greatest lenses I've ever used. But having that extra 500 millim or 100 millimeters on a full frame camera, I mean, it's oh, that would be absolutely amazing. So fingers crossed that they'll make it for an EF mount. But you know, beggars can't be choosers, I guess. Yeah, I got a friend of mine. Uh, you may have seen him online. Turn to the skies. Uh, Josh, he lives there in Sumter. He's got a Canon. Uh, he's got the 100-400 uh, glass, but he's also been using uh, the 1.4 extender. And uh, okay. you know, I've considered maybe using those, but the the downside is it it does do one stop down in light. So that's something I'm not not so willing to give up. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's obviously like doing the the 1.4 extender. Um, especially for the low level, excuse me, the low level stuff that I want to get start getting into here soon. And I mean, I'll be shooting, you know, hopefully it's not, weather won't be crap up there or so it'll be extremely dangerous for me <laughs> if the weather does turn up there. But I think just having that extra reach, you know, like I want to be shooting full aperture or, you know, you, you never know. It'd just be handy to have, especially on a, on a full frame too. You know, you get that extra, extra boost and 
About yeah. To try. I also have to try it out and all that. Got a well-lit environment, you're probably in good shape. Oh, yeah. That's when it starts getting cloudy and dark and miserable. That's when it just starts getting miserable for yourself, too. But... Well, that's cool you start out with Pentax, man. I mean, I seems like a lot of guys who I've interviewed, they started out with Pentax, and like I have as well, so hopefully that, that's a good sign. <laughs> it was a good name for a long time, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My grandfather, I saw his lenses from like the 60s and the 70s for the Pentax uh, um, film cameras, and I've actually had a little mount so I could put on my K30 and actually use those lenses. So one day I took his 200 millimeter. Uh, prime lens that he had and I put my mount on my my K30 and I went out to the airport to go shoot with an old school old school glass like that and actually it was pretty cool it probably had a blue tint to it on the glass so that kind of kind of sucked but this is actually really cool shooting in old school you know have to do your own f-stop and you know, your own focus and stuff like that and it was, it was pretty fun not gonna lie if you know what you're doing it's a lot of fun and when you don't know what you're doing it can be uh frustrating <laughs> yeah that, yeah that that was me when i went out there i'm going like i'm trying to focus i'm going oh wait autofocus oh no and I was just trying you know just doing stuff like that and you know it's trying to find the right aperture and the depth of field and oh man it was a cluster but man i had a great time doing it <laughs> All right, man, so we already discussed that your favorite airport is probably Shaw, and your airplane to spot is... Actually, you know what? What is your favorite airplane to spot? Is it the, well, is it the Viper? No, believe it's, it's, uh, it's the C-17. Okay. Uh, it just, it's, I've, I've always had a fascination with it. You know, when I was uh, in middle school, I was in Civil Air Patrol and had the opportunity to do a, a summer camp down at Charleston. Uh, back before it became a, a joint base, it was just Charleston Air Force Base, and uh, back then they were flying the C-141, okay. and we had a special presentation from, uh, at the time it was a McDonnell Douglas uh, airframe, and there were some folks from McDonnell Douglas that came and gave us uh, a presentation about, you know, what was to, to come, and, and, and showed these awesome images of this big huge cargo plane with these big huge winglets you know i just thought that was the coolest thing you know back in middle school so you know i've always had uh, a fascination with it that's uh, uh it's a in- extremely capable aircraft and in fact it was one of the first um freeware models i created way back uh, for microsoft flight sim oh wow well, we have to, maybe some guys are interested. If it's, is it for uh, Flight Sim 10? The, the first one I did was actually for uh, 2000, FS2000. So it, oh, it goes wow. way back. Okay, dang. I was about to say, if it's for Flight Sim 10, I'll put a link to that in the description and we could have our other guys you know, download it. But, uh, ooh, man, that's, that's old school. But that's really cool. You got to see some of the first public you know, renderings of, of the C-17 and just thinking how prolific and how amazing and capable that aircraft has become since since the time when you first saw it is that's actually really that's a really cool story that yeah you were the first people to kind of see it so uh is in charleston your favorite air, airport as well to go spot at or is it still uh shaw I'd, that say, I'm I'd say those are the two you know if i i would say uh shaw and then charleston would be a close second Okay, and you're mainly a military photographer. Are you are you somewhat interested in the civil aviation aspect, or is it pretty strictly well, military? You know, sometimes you? I have opportunity. Uh, there's a there's a an aerodrome not far from where I am called uh, Triple Tree, 
it's uh, pretty well known in the remote controlled uh, world they have this huge event there in May typically called Joe Nile and they also have a, a, a grass strip and they'll, they'll have different fly-ins and you know, I've done a few uh, photo shoots with some civilian stuff sometimes they have some pretty pretty neat stuff out there they had a one year they had a DC-3 and a few you know Mustangs and oh wow I, I do uh, tend to lean more toward the, the military but if I have the opportunity to say, you know, my least favorite would probably be, you know, something like a Cessna 172. You know, there's just there's yeah. just so many of those flying around. You know, I, I, you know, I'll hear one flying over. I won't even really bother looking. But if I hear yeah. something with a, a a nice jet roar to it, you know, I'm gonna be looking. Oh yeah, that's the same same thing with me, man. You know, you hear that kind of that low rumble or a high pitch kind of kind of whine to it and bam i'm out of that door with the camera in the hand <laughs> to see what it is yeah my wife uh, she gives me a lot of uh grief in a joking way oh yeah she'll see yes. me she'll see me run out in front of the house on our uh doorbell cam and she knows exactly <laughs> what i'm doing when i look up in the sky <laughs> yeah that's the same thing with my girlfriend she'll uh she'll just like 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 what are you doing like, like you look like an idiot i'm like hey this is important things that we're doing here, right? <laughs> yes, I understand that. Yeah, let's. What's your? So you said that your your the C seventeen is your favorite airplane to spot. Well, what what is your favorite airplane just in general? Like, why is it your favorite? Um, I'd say the P fifty one D Mustang is the favorite all time aircraft, and that stems from uh, my dad. My dad has always had a love affair with that aircraft uh i don't know if you recall the uh, movie um oh heck what's the name of that movie with uh it was the steven spielberg movie and they had p-51s coming in at the end oh so empire empire of the sun you remember that empire one of the sun. Yeah. yeah so pretty old movie uh but you know that had a pretty awesome scene with p-51s coming in and taking out the, the zeros so uh you know that that kind of spurred my interest in in that particular warbird very cool yeah we have a guy out out here in boise he owns two d models and actually one of them is is a real tf 51 mustang and the other one is a his straight up d that's a single seater only heller bust and you know he flies us periodically and man those are really Really epic just to see as you're out there working on the ramp and then you see a taxi by and just you kind of stop and just for, for a quick second and just listen to it take off and it's a, it just echoes and it's it's isn't this is an amazing noise you can't beat that murmur. yeah the engine noise is unmistakable and uh, and the whistling noise of the air going over the uh, the gun holes is yeah. un- unmistakable and that radiator mm-hmm. whine as well. Well, all right. So we already discussed your least favorite spot is a Cessna 172. Uh, anything else in particular that you're not really too fond well, of taking photo uh, of? I'd say most, you know, most civil stuff. Uh, you know, I'll I'll go out and do it for like panning practice, but part. Yeah. I don't. You know, you can look at my account. I generally don't post a lot of uh, civil. Yeah, yeah. You got some absolutely stunning military stuff with the viper demo team and stuff like that and you know speaking of kind of uh viper demo team how is venom how does that That's look a, in person it's a, an impressive aircraft uh in fact you know that that was going to be my uh 
my uh, you know unique story because uh, I got to see it uh, fly for the first time back in in May when they uh, introduced it on the web, just you know as ground static. But uh, you know since they haven't been able to fly shows, the only time anybody would ever see it would be during a practice, and uh, yeah. so it was pretty exciting to to be one of the first to to actually capture that thing on on film and you know publish it. It's uh, it's 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 a, a really inventive uh, scheme. It was designed by Toro and Hutch uh, on the, uh, wow. the team. Yep, so they did it themselves. They got the okay from the uh, base commander to to do uh, a custom scheme on that particular airframe. And you know what you what you see is what you get. It's uh, it's if you've got a a, a backlit uh, background, it actually doesn't look as awful as the uh traditional gray because it you know there's a good bit of contrast uh, available with that scheme so that's that's yeah. a pretty nice uh aside yeah i gotta see the viper demo team uh actually almost a year ago this week over at grand junction colorado that was my first time seeing the f-16 viper demo and holy sh- crap <laughs> That's, oh, yeah. that's they, awesome. They, they don't hold uh, back, that's for sure. They do not. I mean, that Toro does, you know, ripped that thing up. It's actually kind of cool. Is that was somewhat of Toro's home air show because with him being from Price, Utah, you know, we actually drove through Price. I flew down to Salt Lake and drove with my buddy from Salt Lake down to Grand Junction. We actually drove through Price, Utah, and, you know, it's kind of that his hometown, so a lot of his family and stuff was there watching the demos i think it was just a little bit better than any than anywhere else just because you know he had all the family yeah, there he probably stuff put like a that. little extra something something on it uh, yeah that's i remember that second day the second day is when the family was there and he did the face full of america and i think he he went a little more than full send on that one because it was a little bit closer and a little more epic that day but it actually also rained that night so there's actually more there's actually some vapor in the air as well which is equally as amazing but not as much vapor as you get over there in in South Carolina, I would guess. Well, it's kind of moving on from the least favorite spot. What is the rarest airplane you ever spotted? So uh, about two years ago, I was traveling for work and uh, had to do some work in Sacramento, California. And uh, back when they were having a huge opportunity with forest fires, uh, I had the opportunity to spot the... Uh, 747 uh global super tanker oh and wow so I, th- I thought that was pretty cool i just happened to, to have my camera with me on that trip and uh caught a few images of that so you know i think that's pretty unique it's it's the only one that exists so that was that was pretty neat to see absolutely do you guys get any fire bombers out out your way do you guys have any like like what like how, how does it work out there because i'm not really too sure how it works over over in the east coast of typically the South. We're, we don't have as big an opportunity fortunately and uh but when those opportunities do arise the air national guard will take they'll take the um blackhawks and they'll sling the the big huge um you Man know buckets. water bags yeah exactly and they'll you know of course they'll dip them in nearby lakes or, or ponds or whatever whatever's close and mm-hmm. and they'll use those but uh that's uh a uh, few and far between, fortunately. Well, I, Idaho has been really quiet. La- was really quiet last year, and so far, knocking on wood, 
It is pretty quiet. It's very, very weird because usually we get some of the largest wildfires in the country. I remember the Pioneer Fire in 2016 burned almost, it, it burned actually a small town to the ground. And it, uh, it, it gets really, really bad. And I remember we had another one, the Soda Fire burned uh, like over a million acres of this grassland to the south. And uh, it got up to the point where people thought it was going to start jumping the Snake River Canyon. And just jumped the Snake River Canyon, then it rolled right into the Treasure Valley where, you know, Boise and uh, the bigger population area of southern Idaho is. And, um, but, I mean, I, I do love spotting the fire bombers. Those are some of my favorite things to spot. Because it's just so unique. Like, you know, their BAE-146 Avros and DC-10s and stuff like that. It's like, where else are you going to spot this sort of stuff? So, but, uh, so you did some spotting at uh, uh, McClellan or McClellan then also while you're down there? I uh, saw it. Was it McClellan? You get anything else down there? You get the 10 tanker DC-10 or any Neptunes or Aeroflights? That one was the only one that was there at the time. I'm guessing the other ones had probably been relocated or, you know, put in, in closer to the hot spots. But uh, as far as I know, I think that one only flew in and out of McClellan. Yeah, because it has the uh, the Cal Fire contract. Right. And for those, for those that don't know, what that means is um, for fire bombers there are different contracts so for all this is specifically for idaho um, and i'll kind of relate to cal fire and stuff like that so idaho has a, a blm contract which is bureau of land management and the usfs which is the united states forest service contract so there are two different entities and fire bomber companies like Neptune Aviation and Aeroflight and Global Super Tanker and Tent Tanker, they all have to be contracted by the BLM or the Forest Service to be used on fires on those lands. So we have the Boise National Forest uh, a couple miles north of where I live. The companies have to obtain a Forest Service contract to use on that fire, and that's vice versa with BLM. So we have a fire that was south, i.e. the soda fire, companies have to have a BLM contract. And then that's also a national contract too. So any on Forest Service land or BLM land, that's how that would work. Now, for the Global Super Tanker, they don't have a Forest Service or BLM contract. However, they do have a CAL FIRE contract. And CAL FIRE is an entity by the government of the state government of California to fight fires in the state of California and somewhat up in, you know, Oregon and a little bit of Nevada. Um, that's what Cal Fire. So the, it, so the Global Super Tanker has a contract with Cal Fire, and Cal Fire has they have what S twos that they fly and um, some Broncos that they, they use still, which is pretty awesome. So hopefully the Global Super Tanker will become a BLM and uh, Forest Service contract because I would absolutely love to see that seven four seven up here at Nissi. But um, yeah, no. That's kind of a tangent on that, but uh, that's really cool. You got to see the uh, Global Super Tanker. I've yet to see it, and I really do hope that they bring her up here one day for at least a demonstration so they can try and get a contract for uh, for the government. Yeah, I think it's based out of Colorado. Yeah. Oh, that's right. It also has a contract with Arizona and Colorado as well, I believe. You know, it also depends on cost too, because at the end of the day, it's the government that pays that has to pay it. Yeah, it's something crazy like thousands of dollars per drop. You know, it's, it's yeah. it takes a pretty good chunk of money. It does. I know the uh, the ten tanker guys, the DC ten guys, they can carry up to twelve thousand five hundred gallons of water or fire retardant. 
and you know they their cost is just absolutely enormous because you know they're also flying DC-10s. I mean, luckily there's still parts available for the DC-10, but still it's just it's just an old airplane. You know, that 747 is the same thing. At least there's a plentiful parts for 747, but um, like Neptune's old P-2Vs that they retired a couple of years ago now. You know, those were the only ones left, and parts dried up, and you keeping a 60, 70, 60 year old airplane still flying is with engines from a B-29 Superfortress is, yeah, I guess, a little bit difficult here oh, yeah. and there. Um, well, what's your favorite event or location outside of general airport photography that uh, that you I've like? I've actually got uh, two. Uh, my uh, most favorite of those would be the uh, homecoming show down at NAS Pensacola. And uh, that's when, you know, it's, it's traditionally the season end for the Blue Angels. And it's uh, it's a, a Saturday only show, uh, believe it or not. And when when the Blues are done at the end of that show on that Saturday, when they drop the salute, that's when the new team goes into effect. And you know that that goes for the enlisted and the officers. So as soon as they do that, you know name tags on lockers and everything get swapped out almost immediately. So it's wow. it's it's pretty pretty wild, and of course it's homecoming. So you'll you'll see a bunch of former blues and you know former team members just hanging out and talking with people. It's uh, it's a pretty exciting event. And the second one I would say is my most favorite is uh, NAS Oceana, and the reason for that is they have a a, a pretty awesome uh, what they call a power demo, and. Uh, I fortunately back in the late 90s had the opportunity to go when they were still flying the F14 and, oh. and that was that was an incredible aircraft to see in person you know back then I still had film cameras and uh you know you get a roll of 24 shots you you, you have to be pretty uh picky about what you take a picture of so most of the images I took back in those days were you know either it on the ground or taxiing something i knew i was gonna make sure it was in focus and, and clear but uh man i really wish i had a digital camera back then to get it flying because it was it was something else but That's their good. power demo sorry their power demo uh continues to be a phenomenal uh, demonstration with the uh, super hornets and the legacy hornets and you know they'll thump, they'll come in and drop a helicopter and you mock uh, you know a pilot down or you know it's it's pretty pretty phenomenal now, I had an opportunity to go to Ocean, I think, in 2018, and I didn't go, and I kind of kicked myself in the butt for not going, because that's like a show I really want to go to now. But real quick, with the F-14, did they have a they had a demo team out there, too, for the Tomcat, right? I don't know if they officially had a team, but they did have a an F-14 demonstration uh, that was, you know, was solely it flying around. And you can look on YouTube and see a whole bunch of, you know, old videos showing it off man it's it's you know again that it, it sucker i heard it was a maintenance nightmare but when it was flying and flying well it it really uh it really uh it was a crowd a uh, pleasure yeah i really wish i had the opportunity to see the uh the tomcat in the air you know i might have had an air show at one point when i was growing up but i was obviously too young to remember um so going back to pensacola with the Blue Angels transitioning to the Super Hornet 
after this season, assuming you know we, we don't know if they're going to keep it on for just another year because of, of the situation that we're in. Were they planning on anything special for the transition from the Legacy to the Super down there for their home yeah, show this year? back when they transitioned from the A4 to the F18 back in, I think it was the end of the 86 uh, season and going into the 1987 season. Yeah, they, had, um, they would invite a lot of uh, special people. You know, when, when they final finally you know taxied back with their a4s um the uh number seven pilot for the oncoming uh, year taxied out the f-18 right so it was uh you know it was a nice event and i anticipate they'll do something similarly if they even still have the event that's that's the concern right now is you know are they even still going to have homecoming because so many air shows have been uh being canceled you know i think there's one coming up wednesday at cheyenne Um, yeah yeah i was uh and we're recording this on july 20th 2020 and that yeah that air show was on uh, july 22nd a wednesday starts at 7 a.m it's only in the morning and i've never seen an air show schedule like that before it it just kind of sucks because i would have loved to go over there and drive over there but i can't take the time off of work right now and if it was on like a friday i actually have a friday off from work on my schedule which is extremely uncommon for me to have like a friday or, or off and I'm like, okay, well, how long would a drive from Boise to Cheyenne be if I can make it there by 7 a.m.? I get off of work at midnight, and it's a 10 and a half hour drive. So I'm going, crap. Like, I'll be, like, missing, like, I'll be arriving at the very end of the show. And that would suck. Especially but, since they don't have the Thunderbirds anymore. So right now I think they got the A-10, the F-22, and the F-35. The F-35. So all they need is Toro to come over, and then yeah, you have the Quadfectra. <laughs> but they do have a B1 flyby, Ooh. which, yeah, B1 flyby. They're going to have a B52 and a B2 flyby. But the B52 and the B2, they never heard from. And you know, probably the B2 will fly over, just you won't know it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. Now, if you look to your what, if you look to Contra to the West, there is your B two flyover. <laughs> yeah, and another interesting thing is not only is it very early in the day, it's drive-in only, which seems to be, I guess, a, a growing trend. Uh, they're they're also going to have a show in London, Ontario, uh, coming up, and it's going to be a drive-in only uh, event. So, you know, if they if they were to decide down at Pensacola to have drive-in only. I don't know if they've got enough room, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, it's a pretty decent size uh, tarmac, but still, you've got uh, you got to have a place to put the airplanes, and uh, there's just mm-hmm. not a lot of room uh, for that. So, um, you know, it it very very well may be uh, a private event, you know, for the transition. You know, hopefully they would uh, do the uh, aviation enthusiast community the favor of um, broadcasting it live you know like we've seen some of the other um events i think they had one a few weeks in uh, cedar creek right so yeah so it remains to be seen what's going to happen there uh, you know my wife and i had planned to go uh but uh you know with it 
tentatively up in the air if it's even going to happen. You know, we, we haven't quite made travel plans, so yeah. we'll see. Yeah, well, hopefully, fingers crossed that something does happen, and fingers crossed that, um, you know, we uh, people of this country or whomever else that they can start getting, you know, making small sacrifices for the for the whole country for the greater good. I mean, um, okay, we won't get into that. That's a whole different topic for, for a whole different day, but we're not going to get into that. But, man, at least air shows are starting to happen a little bit. Whether it be driving or whatever, at least, at least they're actually happening. And that's something we all can be thankful for right now. This unfortunately just too few and far between. This sucks that Edwards Air Force Base canceled as well, because that was a show I was extremely looking forward to. Um, I was planning that one out back like in November of last year. And now they're moving to the virtual air show, which yep. just doesn't do it for me. But uh, real quick, have you ever been to no, Red Flag? Uh, I haven't had the opportunity to go out to Nellis, uh, but that's you know it's on my bucket list. Oh, for sure. Hopefully, they have a twenty-one one. You need to make it out there because that's usually the best lot of the year. And if you do, man, let me know, and I'll get down there with you. But well, uh, you already told us about about uh, Venom. Well, what else do you have about a spotting store that that you would want to well, tell us? Uh, like I mentioned, I had the opportunity to go hang out with a, an Apache pilot, which was pretty dang cool. He found me on Instagram and uh, invited me over to McIntyre and uh, had the opportunity to watch several Apaches take off. And it was pretty funny. They were they were doing some detonation on the airfield because they're testing some repair material. Uh, so they were blowing holes in old unused runways just for the purpose of seeing how well they could repair. And uh, so that was huh. pretty neat seeing them shoot off uh, C5 or C4 explosive across <laughs> uh, across the way when we were out there uh, photographing uh, Apaches. So that that was uh, a unique uh, event. Absolutely. Did you did you get any photos like fireballs or gravel and stuff in the air? Uh, with the we Apaches were, we were like hoping that? something like that could have been timed out, but uh, they couldn't get the Apaches up in the air quite uh, soon enough. But yeah, it, uh, it, it 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 didn't do this huge uh, you know ball of flame or anything. You just saw this big white puff of de- um, disintegrated concrete uh, take off. So yeah, so that that, that was uh, pretty cool. To see that. Yeah, that's 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 amazing, man. That I remember, uh, I discussed this with the last episode with Aaron, but we used to we used to have Apaches for the Idaho Army Guard here in uh, in Boise, and man, I remember the days. I remember like that was a I, I like along with the A ten. I grew up with the Apache because it was always the A ten, the Blackhawk, and the Apache. And I used to see Apaches over my house every single day. One of the higher-ups officers that flew the Apache lived two houses down from me. So we used to see the Apaches to come over and circle his house, you know, just because that's they knew where he lived. And then they would fly back to, to Gowan. And, you know, I've seen, I got to go up and see them up close and personal and different settings and all that at Gowan. And, and you know, like I discussed, Last week with Aaron as well, we had uh, two Apaches land at my elementary school, the last day of school back in 2003, which was the most incredible thing I've ever ever witnessed. But, yeah, I love the Apache, and that's really cool. I mean, it's good out there when they're blowing stuff up to him. Like, how epic is that? How great of a timing is that? Yeah, couldn't you time know? it any better. Yeah. 
Well, that's pretty cool. Um, well, let's start wrapping it up, man. Uh, do you have any tips, words of encouragement, or anything like that for the listener yeah, out there? Um, that you're willing to share? You know, back when I started, I had no idea. Uh, I would just, you know, I shot JPEG because I didn't know any better. Uh, yeah. My my words of encouragement would yeah. be uh, shoot raw. You know, it it takes more memory, and it may slow your camera down, but the ability to post process in raw uh, greatly outweighs you know those two things. So that would be my biggest suggestion. Um, and I've got some advice for folks on Instagram. You know, if you want to if you want to yeah, build absolutely. a bigger uh, following, uh, my advice would be to post at least once a day. Uh, try to post a variety of, of photos, you know, different types of aircraft. Don't use the same hashtags over and over again. Those, uh, for whatever reason, Instagram kind of, I don't know how they do it, but they kind of keep a track of what, what hashtags you're using. And if you start using them over and over again, you'll, you'll start looking like a bot. And that's the last thing you want to do if you're trying to build uh, a follower group. So definitely try to change it up a little bit you know on the hashtag so i will be taking that one into account because i usually generally use the same hashtag except for the only variations like it's relating to a certain aircraft or airline but i am going to be taking yeah, a lot of people will go cut and pasting and uh you know just some standard ones they're using all, over and over again you know i do have my favorites that i'll do but i've got like four or five different groups and i'll i'll try to pick one one day and pick another another day and then go back to the to, to a new one you know just kind of you, you just kind of keep it uh it's got to be relevant too you know yeah you can't just throw uh yeah you know beach party on a on an air an airplane pick and think that's gonna <laughs> catch some uh some hookers <laughs> or some yeah. likes yeah well okay i am taking that one into advice i actually want to be doing that for my next post so uh thank you on that part man i appreciate it uh so speaking speaking of instagram where can we find your work man uh we know we can get to your instagram here in a second but do you have like a facebook page for your photos or a Flickr or anything uh, like that have, or where can people find you uh, facebook facebook.com uh, slash owen av photo uh it's a page but i also have a group uh, that you can link to there if you'd like to join um i do have a website uh, owenavphoto.com my twitter account is at owenavphoto and I do have uh, Flickr, I don't have a whole lot of stuff on there uh, but uh, you know, over time I'll try to to build it up a little bit more than I've got but uh, for the most part you're going to find me posting mostly on Instagram uh, owen.aviation.photo uh, primarily that's where you're going to see my content Okay, yeah, and actually, I just followed you back on Twitter because you followed me right before we started here. Um, and do you, do you upload to airliners? No, or can't say I've ever or anything done that. like that. I'm kind of on the same uh, wavelength of, you know, I don't, I don't particularly care for somebody else critiquing my photo and nitpicking. You know, I you get, know. I get enough of that in the general public, but uh, not. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't. I really don't. But uh, you know, they, it just, you know, just never appealed to me. So. Yeah, no, I, that's fair. I mean, it's not everybody's cup of tea and all that. I mean, I, I do here and there, and, you know, it's just kind of fun to get my photos out on there. But uh, but uh, everybody, go check them out, and trust me, you will not be disappointed in what you see. You know, it's, if you ever want to go, if you want to see Vapor, 
this is the guy to go see some vapor from. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, Owen, appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on here and talk planes with me here. Um, thank you for being one actually the first listeners of the AVSP, and I really, really, really do appreciate all your support that you've given me for this. But anyway, this is the part of the show where I always say, if you know somebody who wants to come on and talk aviation with me, send me an email to avspotterspodcast at gmail.com. Drop me a DM on Twitter and Instagram at BOI Spotter. Send us a message on Facebook, Aviation Spotters Podcast. Make sure to go like, share, follow, do whatever, get the word out. I really appreciate that. And um, anyway, man, Owen, anything else to add? Nah, man. Uh, just keep your keep your cameras clicking. Keep those batteries charged. Nah, like I always say too, keep those batteries charged and those cameras ready. I'll catch you next time here on the Aviation Spotters Podcast. <laughs>